You guys can be saved. Amen. Amen. Man, what an awesome image that we just sang, right? I just love that. Just running to the Father again and again and again and again. Man, I love that. Man, what a beautiful song. Thanks, guys, for leading us this morning. Hey, I want to welcome you today. Uh, if you're brand new this morning, my name is Mark. I'm the pastor. We're excited to have you here with us uh, today. All right, you picked a great day uh, to be here. We're going to continue in worship right now as we just respond to God in receiving our offering. And so our ushers are going to get into place this morning. And, you know, one of the things about giving, one of the things that we think about when we think about our money, the way that we use the resources that God gives to us, is everybody's the same. You want to put your money and your resources, your time, your talents, your treasure, you want to put those towards investments that are going to make a good return, right? You, you want to put your, uh, the resources that God's given you towards things uh, that are worthwhile, that matter. I want to show you a picture, if we can bring it up here on the screen. I took these pictures this morning, uh, just kids being checked in and uh, getting ready back there, and some of kids, Rob, it was without permission, I put your picture on the screen this morning, by the way, um, and uh, just getting ready for some of the kids. And I love what they've got on the wall in one of our elementary rooms. They've got a big chalk wall. They write things up and, uh, on, on the wall, and they're just right in line with the prayer theme. It says, prayers talking to God and knowing uh, that he will answer. I don't know if you know this or not, but right now, if this happens every Sunday, while we are in here, uh, back there in those kids' rooms, there are kids that are learning about Jesus. Uh, there are kids that are singing about Jesus. There are kids, they are putting crafts together, uh, and they, they are, they're building memories into their life. What they're doing is re they're really storing up things in their hearts that God can use to make them into men and women of God. Did you know that over 80% of people who make a decision for Jesus do it before the age of 12? Did you know that? right? So, so they're not back there babysitting right now. They are literally raising up men and women who we're praying would love Jesus and walk with Jesus. And, and so I just want to show you this this morning, make you aware of it, uh, and really bring two things to your attention. Listen, if you've been coming for a little bit, you're not serving anywhere, I want to invite you to give Servant and Summit Kids a shot. Um, you can serve once every four weeks on a serve team. I want to invite you to serve. You can serve in elementary, toddlers, preschool. You don't have to teach. Uh, you can uh, do, there's all kinds of different roles back there. If you want to serve, you can take your connection card, check on the front of your card that says, I want to serve, and we'll get in touch with you uh, this week uh, here. Right there it is, right there on my card I'm trying to grab. Right here, I want to serve at Summit. Just check that. But also, I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you to take the resources that God has given you and put it towards something that will have an eternal return. And listen, when you give every single week, what you give, a portion of that goes to what's happening in Summit Kids right now. Those volunteers and those leaders, they don't show up on Sunday and then just pull it out of their hat or something like that. They work throughout the week getting crafts, getting lessons together. Volunteers are getting ready. Why? Because we believe that it matters that kids know and love Jesus. Anybody amen that? Right? Here's the deal. We can talk about the direction of our world, the direction of our country. There's a difference in talking about it and doing something about it. And Summit Kids, Kids Ministry, is a small way of saying, you know what? We want to see the next generation rise up, be men and women of God. So I just want to challenge you 
Your generosity makes that happen. So thank you for giving, but also, listen, if you don't, if you don't give, you've been kind of flirting with the idea, you know, one day I'll give. Uh, why not today? Why not open up the Summit app, click Give. You can give right there on the app. You can give here today uh, as we're about to pass these baskets around. But I just want to challenge you this morning to jump in and be a part of what God is doing. And as you give, you are being a part of it. You are making it happens. So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to ask God to bless our offering. Jesus, as we give today, God, I pray for every child, every uh, son, daughter, boy, girl, grandson, granddaughter, every kid in Summit Kids. God, I pray that you would grip their hearts, that you would open up their eyes to see you, and Jesus, that they would just become men and women who love God. They would just grow into men and women who want to follow Jesus no matter what it, what it means. They would just grow into men and women who want to love people and serve people. They would just grow into men and women who follow Jesus. And so, God, I pray that as we give today, God, that we would give out of generous hearts. God, we would want to use the resources you've given to us to make an eternal investment. So, God, as we give today, that's happening. God, it's happening in Summit Kids. It's happening in all kinds of different areas. But, God, we're just highlighting Summit Kids today, thinking about it, thinking about the investment we make. And so, God, I pray that as we give today, you would use it to raise up a generation of men and women who would just be sold out to Jesus. Father, we love you. We ask God in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And you guys can uh, pass those baskets around. Make sure you hang on to your connection card. You can turn those in at the end of service. Hey, as you're giving today, before we get started, I want to highlight something that's going to happen this Saturday. This Saturday morning, ladies, let me get your attention, ladies, right here, 830 in the morning, this Saturday is the If Gathering. We're going to join up. We're going to literally link up with uh, uh, churches all over the country, and we are what's called a simulcast host site for the If Gathering. The If Gathering is one of the largest Christian women's conferences in the world. Some of the amazing speakers are going to be there. We're hosting it this Saturday for free. Here's the deal. Uh, if you uh, want to come, every lady in the church, no matter how young or old, is invited. All right? They need help with food. If you want to bring some food this Saturday, you can. There's a sign-up sheet on the table. But instead of me telling you about it, I want to share a video with you about it. So check the screens this morning. Watch this. If Gathering 2020 is coming, and I want to tell you what I see for it. I see across the earth, across every different country, from all different backgrounds, all different ages, that we would, for two days, come together and ignore our feeds, ignore all the noise, ignore the chaos inside of us, and listen to the Word of God taught. If 2020, we are going to focus completely, entirely, solely on the person of Jesus. That is it. Every message that you hear, every song that we sing, like this is our hope. And we need hope. The world is spinning out like crazy, and so are the insides of us. And we need the thing that's going to steady us. That is what we are going to talk about in IF 2020. And we want you to be there because we're not in this to grow IF gathering. We're in this to grow the kingdom of God. And we do not want you to miss it. So grab your friends. I am bringing a lot of mine. And we are all going to stand back together and watch what God's going to do. All right, so that's this Saturday, man. This Saturday, February 29th, right here in this room, starting at 8.30 in the morning, goes to about 5.30 uh, in the afternoon or so. Be a part of it. Now, also, later that evening is Night to Shine. So this Saturday's got a lot going on, offering something for everybody. Night to Shine, all kinds of uh, different churches in the area are coming together. It was a couple of weeks ago. Remember, I had the 
get moved. We had to move it because of, you know, that massive blizzard we got a couple of weeks ago. People are still talking about the blizzard of 2020. And, um, but we had to move Night to Shine because of it. But it's this Saturday starting at 530. So uh, if you volunteered for that, that man, that's coming up Saturday night. All right. Hey, listen, I know we just prayed, um, but I am really excited about what we're going to talk about this morning. And I just feel uh, just a real sense that we need to pray this morning again. So would you just bow your heads with me and let's pray uh, this morning. God, I just have this sense that today could be a really pivotal, clarifying moment for a lot of us in the room. But it won't be if we're just thinking about something else, if we're focused on other things, if we're thinking about who's here, who's not here, if we're uh, focused on something that happened in the week. God, we bring all of that stuff into the room with us. We can't help it. But Jesus, you are bigger than all that. You are bigger than everything we went through this week, everything that happened to us. God, everything that might be going on at the emotional level this morning, Father, you are bigger and greater. And so, God, would you just help us to see you today? God, speak to us. Holy Spirit, move in a powerful way in, this, in these moments. Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name and for his glory and for his kingdom's sake. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. I don't know if you saw it uh, last year online on cable news and uh, uh, newspapers, things like that. There was, there was some controversy, some backlash last year about how when there was a national tragedy, something would happen. You know, a lot of the response that the culture that people give is people will say, our thoughts and prayers are with you. Well, last year there was a lot of controversy around that because uh, on social media, news, things like that, there was a lot of controversy because something would happen in the world, a flood, natural disaster, tornado. And the response from a lot of people would be, our thoughts and prayers are with you. And then people would respond, well, that's great, but we need more than prayer. We actually need you to send water. We need you to send food. We need you to come and help us rebuild. Thanks for the prayers, but we need some action up in here. And from time to time, Christians will come to me, people will come to me in this church, and they'll say this, Mark, if God already knows what he wants to do, why should I pray? I mean, if God has a plan, then what do my choices matter? I mean, if God already knows what's going to happen, then why pray in the first place? Here's the deal. Both of those are saying the same thing. Both of those are trying to solve and resolve this tension around this issue that the Bible calls the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty of God is just a theological way to talk about God's in control of all things. Trying to fix this tension, the sovereignty of God and the choices you make, the prayers that you pray. How do those things go together? And listen, if you've ever thought of that, if you've ever asked that question, I want you to know, honestly, that's an awesome question. I'm glad you asked this morning. That's a really good question to ask because the way that you answer that question could change your life. The way that you answer, if God already knows what he's going to do, why pray? could change the way that you think about what it means to be a Christian, change the way you pray, change the way you live, all right? So we got a long way to go this morning, a short time to get there. I just have a real clear sense of what God wants me to say this morning, so I'm really excited about it. So let's just jump right in. A lot of verses are on the screen this morning uh, to build up where we're ultimately going to land. I'll give you some examples here. We'll just see how the Bible talks about this, this tension, what God does, what we do. Philippians 2, 12 through 13, on the screen it should say this. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you, both to will and to work, 
for his good pleasure. So the Apostle Paul, without skipping a beat, says to the church at Philippi and Summit Church this morning, hey, listen, guys, you need to work out your salvation, man. You need to grow spiritually. You need to join a small group if you can. You need to get in the Word of God. You need to grow spiritually. And then in the same exact breath, Paul says, and God's the one giving you the desire to grow. Hey, you need to grow. You need to do something. And if you do something, God's giving you the the desire to do it. Grow, and God is the one making you, giving you the desire to grow. So if you would have walked up to the Apostle Paul and say, Paul, who's doing the work here? Is it me or is it God? The Apostle Paul would have looked back at you and said, yes. Yes is the answer to that question. God's working and you work. You better get in the Word of God. You better join a small group and serve and whatever, whatever. God's the one making you do those things. God's at work behind the scenes. So for the Apostle Paul, there is no tension that you need to solve between the sovereignty of God and what you do. It's just a tension that you live in. I'll give you another one. This one's harder to navigate, but man, it's amazing. Uh, Revelation 8, 2 through 5. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all of God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense, watch, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, hurled it on the earth, and there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. There's a truckload of figurative speech in there. It's really hard to figure out what's being said just as you read at face value the first time. The trumpets there symbolizes what God wants to do in the world. So the trumpets that the angels are given and that they blow symbolize what God does in the world, past, present, and future, all of God's purposes. But notice, one angel comes into the presence of God, and this angel has a censer. It's something that's going to hold, something you're going to put on this offering. It's going to catch fire. It's really hot. You hold it with the handles, right? And in that censer, in the thing that's going to go in the fire, are the prayers of the saints, the prayers of God's people, it said. Now, who's that? That's us. That's every single prayer you have ever and will ever prayed. That's every prayer that every, every person, every Christian, past, present, and future, all of our prayers are presented as an offering before God. And what Revelation 8 is saying, is, is saying, is saying this, that all of God's plans and purposes in the world, they are connected to your prayer life. Let me say that again because I felt like that should have sucked the air out of the room. Everything God does in the world is connected to how you pray. Hello? Is it too early? Right? Do we need some like double shots of caffeine up in here? Right? Everything that God does in the world is connected to how you pray. I heard somebody say it like this. God works in the world through the prayers of God's people. And it's not as if God is in heaven waiting for like suggestions and ideas from us because he doesn't have any. No, listen, the God who created everything created prayer and God has chosen to work in the world through your prayers. I mean, it's not on the screen, but we went through it a couple of weeks ago. The Lord's Prayer, Jesus tells us to pray, your kingdom, what? You tell me, hello? Come, pray, your kingdom come. Ask God, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why does Jesus tell you to pray that the kingdom would come? Here's why. Because the kingdom is going to come through your prayers. That's why one of the most amazing verses in the Bible is James 4, 2. I think that one's on the screen. Look at it. You do not have because you read it out loud with me. You do not ask, right? Say, what's that verse mean? 
You know what that verse means? Exactly what it says. You do not have because you don't ask. Sometimes people say, Mark, why don't we see a lot of the things of God that we read in the Bible? Why don't we see God do today in America what I hear about He's doing in other countries? Why don't I see in America or right in Hazard what I read about in the book of Acts? Hey, listen, maybe the problem is not with God's power. Maybe the problem is with our praying, right? You don't have, Summit, what you don't ask for. So, so what God does and what you do We want to try to solve this tension. Hey, listen, if God knows what's going to happen, why pray? If God knows what's going to happen, why do my choices matter? We try to solve that tension mainly because we're Americans. We live in the West. We don't like mystery. We don't really like tension. But the Bible says, listen, there's just a lot of tension and mystery in being a Christian, right? Listen, if God is infinite, there are questions nobody can answer. Beware of anybody that says they got God figured out. Hello? Right? I'll give you an example. God is Trinity. We believe in one God who exists as three distinct persons. What's that mean? I don't know. But there's one God who exists as three distinct persons. I can only talk about that for a few minutes before we move into heresy, before I say something wrong, right? God God, God is infinite. We're finite. There's mystery. There's tension. This mystery, what does God do? What do you do? This mystery isn't something you solve. You just live in it. But if there's, a, if there's a place in the Bible that you see it best portrayed, what God does and what you do, it's in the book of Nehemiah. Let's spend the rest of the morning right there. So if you've got a Bible, open up Nehemiah chapter 1. All right? Nehemiah is a really tiny book in the, New, in the Old Testament, so don't be the table of contents is your friend. Hello? You know what I'm saying? The table of contents, if you need it, is your friend when it comes to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was born a Jew. All right, Nehemiah was born a Jew after Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. Here's why that's important. Here's the only reason you need to remember that. Jerusalem's destroyed by the Babylonians 586 B.C. That is 141 years before we meet Nehemiah in Nehemiah chapter 1. So 141 years before Nehemiah chapter 1, Babylon invades Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the city of God. They invade it. They take all of Jerusalem captive, and they destroy the city. Now, here's why that's a big deal. When something is in ruins or when something has been happening for over 100 years, it just becomes your normal. When something's been going on for 141 years, it just becomes your status quo. And let's remind ourselves, let's remember, our definition of prayer that we have in this series is prayer is what? Rebellion against the status quo. And so status quo, normal, was that Jerusalem, all of of Jerusalem, they were all captive slaves in Babylon, and Jerusalem was destroyed. Now, in the book of Ezra, right before the book of Nehemiah, some of those captives begin to return to Jerusalem. Things begin to happen, and Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah verse 2, asks, how's it going in Jerusalem? He hears people are moving back to Jerusalem. Here's some things are starting to go on. Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 2. Han and I, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, excuse me, who had survived the exile And concerning Jerusalem. So, hey, listen, I hear people are getting out of exile. They're going back to Jerusalem from Babylon. Tell me how it's going. Well, here's their answer. Look at 3 and 4. 
And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. This is Nehemiah. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the Lord, the God of heaven. So listen, hey guys, how's it going in Jerusalem? Nehemiah, listen man, they're moving back, but it's not going all that well. Jerusalem is still destroyed, especially the walls that surround the city. Here's why that's a big deal. Because the walls were supposed to be there to protect people from the Babylonians to come in. Well, Babylonians tear down those walls, tear down the city. Sure, they've started to rebuild a few things, but the walls are still torn down. And while the walls that surround Jerusalem are torn down, God can't be worshipped the way that He ought to be worshipped, and Jerusalem is still wide open for attack. Now, here's the thing. The walls have been torn down 141 years. Nehemiah knew it. This isn't the first time Nehemiah's heard that the walls had been torn down. But all of a sudden, right here, when Nehemiah asks and they tell him what happens, in one moment, Nehemiah feels for Jerusalem what God feels for Jerusalem. And in a moment, Nehemiah's heart is filled with what we'll call today kingdom vision. Nehemiah just gets a vision from God for his life in a moment. Just drops out of heaven a vision from God. Nehemiah, something in Nehemiah says, listen, this doesn't glorify God. I have got to do something about it. Kingdom vision. He's filled with godly ambition. So let's read. So then after that, he just prays. Look at verse 5. Let's read the entire prayer, verse, uh, starting in verse 5 down to verse 11. And I said, O Lord God of heaven... The great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel. Your servants confessing the sin of the people of Israel which we've sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I've chosen to make my, to make my name dwell there. They are your servants." And your people whom you redeemed by your great power, by your strong hand. Stop right there. Nehemiah is reminding God of things God said in case maybe God forgot. Hey God, remember when you said you redeemed these people, man? Remember when you said you loved them? And remember when you said if they repented, you'd bring them back and you'd restore them? You saved them. They're your people. And then he goes on. Look at the next verse, verse 11. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. Give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah's prayer. And notice Nehemiah does not pray that God would build the wall. Nehemiah doesn't pray that God would send somebody to build the wall. Nehemiah prays that God would use him to build the wall. Nehemiah says, God, listen, the walls are torn down. This is not what you want. Give me an opportunity to go in front of the king who Nehemiah works for 
and get permission and the resources to go back and build the wall. So in chapter 2, the time span between chapters 1 and 2, most people think, is nine months. Nehemiah spends nine months praying and planning. Praying and planning. They're not at odds. You don't have to pick one. Godly people do both. They pray and they plan. He's praying and planning, getting ready for this time. He's going to go before the king and ask the king permission. Chapter 2, it happens. Nehemiah goes in front of King Artaxerxes, and it's just on him. It's just on Nehemiah. The king can tell that something's bothering Nehemiah. And the king says, Nehemiah, what's wrong? And and Nehemiah says, listen, my people in Jerusalem, they're they're, they're torn. the, The walls are torn down. Jerusalem's in shambles. It's awful what happened to the holy city. And the king says this, can I help? Nehemiah has prayed for nine months for this moment. Imagine going to your boss and and saying this. Imagine going to your boss. Nehemiah goes to his boss. His boss asks, listen, it's horrible what happened to your people. How can I help you? And Nehemiah, who has prayed and planned for nine months, looks at his boss and says, well, actually, you can help. If you could give me the next several months off, that would be amazing. And I'm going to have to walk through other kingdoms, and my life might be in danger. So if you can give me some letters to make safe passage through those other kingdoms, that would be swell. Also, king, while you're thinking about it, if you could put in those letters that those other kingdoms that I walk through, could they give me all of the resources that I need to build those walls? And I'm going to be there for a while. I don't have a place to live. Can you tell them to give me resources? I can build a house for me to live in while I'm leading Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. Could you do that, boss? And the king says, awesome, let's go. And so he gives Nehemiah permission to do this. Nehemiah goes, and long story short, Nehemiah gets all of the resources, everything the king gives Nehemiah, exactly what he asked for. Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem, rallies the troops. Here's the deal. Nehemiah leads Jerusalem to rebuild walls that were torn down for over 100 years in 52 days. How's he do it? Praying and planning. God, this is what you want, and we're the people here. You might as well use us. Let let me just show you how this worked in Nehemiah's life. I love how practical uh, this guy is. Look at Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 9. There was opposition. People wanted the the, the people of God to live in shambles and ruins. People were going to try to come destroy the work. There's always opposition to the work of God. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 9 says this, And we prayed to God, and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. Do you see that? God, there are people that are going to come. They're going to try to kill us. And Nehemiah 4 says this. So we prayed and asked God to protect us. And then as soon as Nehemiah says amen, he goes to a couple of people. And Nehemiah 4 says he gives a bunch of guys some swords. Says, God, protect us. You've got a sword. Amen. Praise the Lord. Answered prayer. Nice sword. Right? This is just how this guy works. It's as if God is in heaven, and God says, listen, I want these walls rebuilt. I wonder who's available to me. Oh, wait, there's Nehemiah. Boom. And God just drops kingdom vision in his life. Listen, that's how God always works. God knows what he wants to do, but listen, this might crystallize what we're trying to say this morning. God not only plans the ends, God plans the means to the ends as well. Hello? Does that make sense? God doesn't say, this is what I want, and then boom, all of a sudden it miraculously, miraculously pops out of the sky. God plans the means to the ends, and can I just tell you, you and I are the means. 
Listen, God can work through miraculous intervention all that he wants, but you look at Scripture, you look at history, God usually does what through people who are available. God wants somebody to get saved. God sends somebody who's willing to tell that person about Jesus. God wants to start a revival. He stirs up a group of people to pray. Somebody's hungry. God wants them fed. You've got food. God sends you if you're available. God plans the ends and the means, and I'm just telling you, we are the means. Amen? Right? We're it. We're it. All right, I can, I can tell I got my work cut out. I love, man, you guys make me work for it. I'm closer to Jesus because of your servant hearts. Let me just tell you this, right? Because here's the deal. This is the way that God does it. I'm glad you're here this morning. This is the way that God does it. The way that God does anything in the world is God just looks for somebody who's available. And if they are, God drops kingdom vision into, your, into their heart. Can I ask you a question this morning? I'm just talking to you. I'm not talking to anybody else. It's just me and you. What is the kingdom vision God's put in your heart? What is the kingdom vision that God's given you? Do you have any godly ambition summit? And listen, ambition can easily be tainted. But when I look at the church today, the church's problem is not that we have too much godly ambition. It's that we either have no ambition or we're ambitious for the wrong things. What is the kingdom vision that God has given you? Can I just tell you, God has a kingdom vision for your life. God has godly ambition that he wants to pass on to you. But if it's going to happen, I think two things we see out of the life of Nehemiah. If we're going to get kingdom vision from God, God, what do you want to do in my life? How do you want to use me? What's your kingdom vision for me? I think two things need to happen. Here's the first one. If we're going to get kingdom vision from God, here's the first thing. Write this down if you're taking notes. We need to let God break us. We need to let God break us. Again, Nehemiah already knew that the walls were torn down, but in a moment, Nehemiah just caught God's vision for Jerusalem, and Nehemiah was broken. He had God's heart for Jerusalem. He had God's heart. Ne Nehemiah was open, available, and he let God break him. And here's the deal. If we want kingdom vision from God, then we need to look beyond our own lives and let God give us his heart for the world around us. We need to look around. We need to see what God sees. But here's the thing. A lot of people have closed their hearts off to the world around them. Right? Right? And it's possible to do that, come to church every week, and you close your heart off to the world around you. This is honestly very easy, to just close your heart off to the world around you. So you have a vision of what life ought to look like, and the vision for the, li for the life that you want, the vision for the life that you're after, has a certain kind of house, with a certain kind of income, with certain kind of kids, and you play on certain kinds of teams, you make certain kinds of grades, you drive a certain kind of car, you retire at a certain age, you live a certain kind of life, and that life looks like a success. That's the vision for your life, maybe, that you've got that you're after. Now listen, listen, look at me. There's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. But I want you to know today, those things are not enough to satisfy a thirsty soul. Those things are not enough to satisfy a thirsty, hungry soul. Now, here's what you're thinking. Well, of course a preacher is going to say that. 
I mean, that sounds, something like, that sounds just like something a preacher is going to say, man. I don't know if you saw this a couple of weeks ago. Did you see that? Did you see on Netflix that new Taylor Swift documentary? Did anybody watch that? Anybody see that new Taylor Swift documentary? Anybody watch that? Anybody? A couple people. The rest of you too busy in your prayer closet. I love it. Um, I've been too busy reading the Greek New Testament as well. Since, so, you know, I just hear what, 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 you, what the kids are watching these days. No kidding. I'm watching this documentary. We're watching this Taylor Swift documentary on Netflix. And I'm thinking, you know, this is going to be an hour, 45 minutes of me, you know, watching some, some songs, maybe some concert footage of, of Taylor Swift. If you haven't watched this thing, here's what happens. It is an hour and 45 minutes of Taylor Swift talking about how she has built her life and career on what millions of fans think about her. And she has come to the realization it is not enough. That's what she says. That's not a preacher's commentary. She comes to the realization this is not enough to build your life on. What the world thinks of you, everything she does, everything she posts on social media, it's a calculated move of whether or not people will like me. And here's the conclusion that she comes to. This is not enough. And the documentary just kind of ends, but I'm watching this. I'm in it for like an hour and 45 minutes, and I'm watching this thinking, oh my gosh, Tay-Tay is giving me an awesome sermon illustration here. I am loving this. Thank you, Miss Swift. Because here's the thing. I'm watching this, and all she is saying is King Solomon, the book of Ecclesiastes. Have you ever read that? The book of Ecclesiastes, if you've never read it, King Solomon, richest person in the world at that time. Here's the, here's the whole book of Ecclesiastes. It's just this question, what's life about? What is the purpose of life? And Solomon wants to know. And so Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes says, listen, I just tried to see if there's anything that could make me happy. What's the purpose of life? So he just went after all kinds of women, got them all. Anything he wanted to buy, he bought it. He became the wisest person in the world at that time. Nobody could compare with Solomon. Here's the, entire book of so Here's the entire book of Ecclesiastes, though. Solomon says this, I got it all, and it was worthless. Here's exactly what he says. I think it might be up on the screen here. Ecclesiastes 1.14, I observed everything going on under the sun, and really it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. Hello? See, here's the thing. Here's the thing. If your heart is not going to be gripped by a kingdom vision of who God is and what God wants to do in your life, then listen to me. Your heart will be gripped by a vision of you as the king, and you are trying to build a kingdom out of your own comfort, safety, and happiness. And here's the deal. When you try to give your life to any other kingdom other than Jesus' kingdom, you will. this is the saddest thing that could happen. The saddest thing that could happen for you is you build that kingdom, you get what you want, and you get there and you think to yourself, is this it? Is there anything else? And you will keep looking for a kingdom after kingdom after kingdom until you realize that you were made for Jesus' kingdom, not your kingdom. See, when we're talking about kingdom vision, what we're talking about is we're talking about what would your little corner of the world look like if the kingdom of God fully broke in right now? Think about this question. What would hazard look like today if the kingdom of Jesus just fully broke into hazard right now? What would change? What would change in your family if the kingdom of God broke in fully into your family right now? What would happen if the kingdom of God broke into your little part of the world. And a kingdom vision from God can come in a moment. 
It's what happens when Nehemiah just drops in a moment. You can be a teacher, you're at school, and you're serving this student, you're helping this student, maybe they have a need, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit floods your heart, and you see that student the way that the Holy Spirit sees that student, and it might not change the rest of your life, but it at least changes that moment, and you will never see that student or those kids the same way ever again. All of a sudden you pick your kids up from school, God, grip, God grips your heart with a vision for your kids becoming men and women of God. You want to start a business, you're thinking about doing it somewhere else, and God grips your heart with taking that risk right here in this community. A kingdom vision can come in a moment. Now, don't think that a kingdom vision always means it's going to be big, you're going to be the next Billy Graham, it's going to be viral, millions of people are going to know about it. Listen, a kingdom vision might not change the world, but it will change your world. So what is the kingdom vision? Ask yourself this. Do I have a kingdom vision from God for my life? Do you have it? Do you have a heart that God could break and give a kingdom vision to? See, kingdom vision starts with God breaking our hearts, but then it moves right here, and this is the last thing. This is the second part. You've got to have this. It starts with God breaking our hearts, but it moves into playing your part. Being willing to play your part. So God gives Nehemiah a vision. Nehemiah, listen, I want those walls rebuilt. And Nehemiah says, listen, God, I'm in. God, I've got to do something here. Nehemiah doesn't want to talk about change. He wants to be the change. He wants to be a part of it. It is really popular and easy to get on Facebook, social media, and post and rant and talk about all of the change and all of the things that needs to happen. But listen, we need less talk, less posting about what needs to happen, and we need more kingdom vision that leads us to do something. Hello? We need kingdom vision that leads us to act. Listen, God's God's plan and your prayers are not at odds. They are connected. But not only is God's plan and your prayers connected, Summit, I got to tell you this morning, God's plan and your life is connected. You are not an accident. I know we say it all the time in church and maybe it's become cliche, but listen, God's got a purpose for your life. Why not you, just like Esther in the book of Esther, who's to say that you're not alive right now in this place for such a time as this? Why not you? Why not now? We are praying for revival and renewal. Are we? Hello, anybody? It's what we're asking God to do as a church. We believe it's the deepest need. We believe that eastern Kentucky needs revival. Who is going to pray for it other than us? Hello? Who is going to pray for it other than us? Who's going to sacrifice other than us? Who's going to be the change other than us? One of my favorite stories, and we're about done, one of my favorite stories about kingdom vision that just drops, changes everything, is a missionary named John Patton. John Patton was training to be a pastor, and he hears about lost people, people that don't know Jesus, in the South Pacific Specifically, a series of islands that at that time they were called the New Hebrides Islands. Now it's called Vanuatu. Right? So, if you watch Survivor, there was a series of Survivor a long time ago in Vanuatu. That's exactly where John Patton was. This island was lost. Nobody there was saved. John Patton, his wife, his kids, they all go there. They start a mission. 
Today, 80% of Vanuatu is Christian. 80%. And it can be directly connected to John Patton. Training to be a preacher, hears about all these lost people and says, you know what, I'll go. Why not me? I'll go do it. Here's the thing about this. This guy was rough around the edges. I kind of like that. I kind of like this guy. Pretty, he was a wild man. The people that lived in the New Hebrides Islands were cannibals. So what's that mean? It means they want to eat you for dinner is what that means. Literally, they were cannibals, all right? And so, so they, everybody knew this. They're all lost, but they're all cannibals. So you can see why nobody wanted to go. John Patton says, why not me? There's a guy that walks up to John Patton before he leaves, and he says to John Patton, John Patton, you and your family, you will be eaten by cannibals. This guy's name, all we know about him was Mr. Dixon. And John Patton, in his autobiography, says this, and I put it on the screen. I replied, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. Drops Mike, walks off stage. That's my kind of missionary, man. Right? 80% of those people today are loving Jesus because a guy was just gripped with a kingdom vision of why not me? Listen, why not you? God is not looking for perfect people. There are none. God is not saying I'm only going to use Bible scholars. God is only looking for people who are available. That is it. Hello? That is good news. God is just looking for people who are available. So God might want to do something in your school. And maybe you're praying, God, save my school. God, send people to do something in my school. Maybe you should change your prayers to say, God, use me in my school. Maybe you're praying that God would do something in this community. God would bring people. Maybe you need to begin to pray that God would use you to do it. Maybe you need to begin to pray that God would give you a kingdom vision for your heart. Do you have a kingdom vision? Do you have a kingdom vision for your life? Some of you here today, you need a kingdom vision for breaking that addiction. You need a kingdom vision for getting that addiction out of your life. You need to stop flirting with it, saying you struggle with it when you don't really struggle. You need a kingdom vision to get God's heart and to begin to declare war against that addiction in your life. Some of you, you need a kingdom vision for your spiritual growth. You're sitting there and you're thinking, listen, this God thing doesn't work for me. You know what? I, I used to get something out of this church. It doesn't work for me. And you said that about your last church and all kinds of other churches. Maybe this God thing doesn't work for me. Well, listen, are you working this God thing? Can I tell you, you get out of God what you put into it. Amen, anybody? You get out of this what you put into it. Some of us think that spiritual growth happens this way. If I get close to the Bible, it's just going to like through osmosis, it's going to just get into me. No, man, you got to read this thing. You got to come to church. You got to sacrifice. You got to give. You want to grow. You get out of God what you put in. What is that, man? That's kingdom vision. Do you have it for your spiritual formation? Parents, you need a kingdom vision for your kids. You need a kingdom vision for your marriage. Do you have a kingdom vision for your life? And maybe today you say, Mark, man, I used to and I let it die. And today God just wants to bring it back to life. Maybe today you're here and you say, Mark, listen, I don't have a kingdom vision. Your heart's been closed off. And today the Holy Spirit 
wants to open it up. Maybe you need to ask God for a kingdom vision. I just want to have a time of prayer this morning and challenge our church. Call our church to kingdom vision and the godly ambition. Just to make yourself available to say, God, whatever you want to do, here I am. Just bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. So we just bow our heads and close our eyes and, and just come into the presence of God. Let's just have a moment of honesty. If you just put your hand in the air to say, God, I want a kingdom vision for my life. God, I want kingdom vision for my life. If that's you, just put your hand up right now in the air to say, God, I want that. Anybody in the room? There's a hand right there, several hands right there. Several hands are up right there. Amen. Amen. You might be here today and say, Mark, listen, I used to have a kingdom vision, but I, I just feel like for some reason it died or I lost it. And I just want kingdom vision back, man. I want to burn for the things of God like I used to. And I just want kingdom vision again. If that's you, just put your hand up. You used to feel that kingdom vision. For some reason it died. You want it back. Anybody in the room? Anybody in the room? Amen. Amen. Father, I just pray right now in Jesus' name, you would just birth kingdom vision in our hearts. Maybe you're here today. And the thing that's blocking kingdom vision is you have a vision of your life. But if you're honest, the vision for your life is built around your own comfort and safety and happiness. And today the Spirit of God is saying you need to lay that down. You need to lay that down. And you need to let me give you a kingdom vision for your life. But here's where it all comes down to. Are you available for God to give you a kingdom vision? If God were to tell you to serve, would you serve? To give, would you give? To give some food to that person, would you? Would you do? Are you, are you available to God just to whisper into your heart? And if not, why not? Because listen, I just want to tell you this morning that whatever is in the way is not worth it. Because if you try to build a kingdom other than Jesus' kingdom with your life, the worst thing that could happen to you is you build it. I mean, you get it, man. You get, you get that kingdom. You get everything that you thought would be success would make you happy. And you get there and you're sitting on it. You're on top of it. And you ask yourself, is this it? I thought there'd be more here. And so maybe today you just need to lay that down. Say, Jesus, I want to use my life to build your kingdom. Jesus, would you do this in our church? Just break us right now. God, there is no way revival and change is going to come into eastern Kentucky if we are not willing to let you birth kingdom vision in our church. It, we are playing games. We are fooling ourselves and we need to go to the house. There is no way renewal and revival is going to come if we don't want to use our lives, if we're not willing to surrender our lives and say, Jesus, break in whatever your kingdom vision looks like, I'm in for it. If we don't want it, if we don't want it for us, there's no way you're going to use us to give it to other people. So, God, as we're praying for revival and renewal, God, I pray for revival and renewal in our church. Pray for dead bones to live, dry bones to live. 
I pray for lost vision to come back. I pray for lost hunger to come back. Father, we repent of sin that might be in the way. God, I repent of just going through the motions. God, I repent of being afraid too many times. Father, I pray that, I pray that Jesus, you would just break through whatever is in the way and give us kingdom vision. But if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, this is where it happens. This is where it starts. Jesus has a plan and purpose for your life. Did you know that? Man, did you know that you are so loved by God that no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, God wants a relationship with you and He wants to use your life. But you need to come to Him. So right now, just with every head bowed, with every eye closed, if you want to be safe today, you want to give your life to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to do it right now. If the cry of your heart is for Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life, and you want to begin to live for Him starting right now, just pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Come into my life and save me today. I give my life to you right now. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for coming back from the dead for me. Father, I surrender my life to you today.